streaming live. Good morning, everybody. Welcome today to Bible study time here with Rick Bonfin Ministry. My name is Gene Thomas, and I'm uh, anxious to share with you God's Word in the time that we have together. I hope you are happy to be here, that you had a good, quiet, restful night, and that you're up and ready to go. Get you some coffee and settle yourself down. Grab your Bible and open it up to Philemon. If you find him there, you'll find him right after First, Second Timothy, then Titus, then Philemon will come up. Very short little letter of St. Paul that is sent to this gentleman by the name of Philemon. <clears throat> the text is short, sweet with a dramatic backstory, which we're going to get into in a minute or two, covering such topics as slavery, missionary work, and reflecting on this Onesimus, the slave, who is the heart of the story. Well, let's begin reading <coughs> Philemon, Philemon together. Chapter 1, if only one view is just like this one little letter. If you turn there, we'll read now Philemon. From Paul in Jake for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and from Brother Timothy to Philemon, our much loved fellow worker, and to the church that meets in your home and to Apia, our sister, and our Sippus, who, like myself, is a soldier of the cross. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you his blessings and his peace. I always thank God when I'm praying for you, dear Philemon, because I keep hearing of your love and trust in the Lord Jesus and in his people. And I pray that as you share your faith with the others, it will grip their lives too as they see the wealth of good things in you that come from Christ Jesus. I myself have gained much joy and comfort from your love. <clears throat> My brother, because of your kindness, has so often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, I want to ask a favor of you. I could demand it of you in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But I love you and prefer just to ask you 
I, Paul, an old man now here in jail for the sake of Jesus Christ. My plea is that you show kindness to my child Onesimus, whom I won to the Lord while here in my chains. Onesimus hadn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's going to be of real use to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my heart. I really wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And you would have been helping me through him. But I didn't want to do it without your consent. I didn't want you to be kind because you had to do so, but because you wanted to. Perhaps you could think of it this way, that he ran away from you for a little while so that now he can be yours forever. No longer only a slave, but something much better, a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you too. Because he's not only a servant, but also your brother in Christ. If I'm really your friend, give him the same welcome you would give me if I were the one who was coming. If he's harmed you in any way or stolen anything from you, charge me for it. I'll pay it when I, I'll pay it back. This is my personal guarantee, my writing my name here with my own hand. But I won't mention how much you owe me. The fact that you even owe me your very soul. Yes, dear brother, give me joy with this loving act and my weary heart will praise the Lord I've written you this letter because I'm positive that you'll do what I ask and even more please keep the guest room ready for me for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me come to you soon Ephorus, my fellow prisoner who is here for preaching Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. So do Mark, Archdecus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, Paul. And there you have the letter of Philemon. And we're going to look at it now, somewhat by verses, and see if we can 
extract some sort of flavor for what is going on here. This little letter I mentioned has a backstory that is a story behind the letter. Philemon is a slaveholder. Make no mistake about that. As was Abraham, as were some people, people in the Bible were slaveholders. One of Philemon's slaves, for all we know, maybe the only one, but at least one of them, named Onesimus, had gotten, well, separated from his master. We're inferring that he ran away. We don't know that. He may have been on a mission, couldn't get back, and didn't want to go back. It was perhaps not by nefarious methods. That is to say, he, he didn't... It, it was perhaps a, someone who wasn't trying to escape, but just found himself in a situation that was difficult. But he found his way over a thousand miles from probably somewhere in Ephesus in Turkey to wherever Paul was locked up. We're not sure where he was locked up. It could have been in Rome, could have been in Ephesus, could have been in Caesarea, a lot of places he was in jail. But Onesimus found his way to him somehow. And this intimacy occurred. It's funny how God brings people together. You need to hold your horses here and think about that for a minute, because God has a way of doing that. You think that and I think that there's so much going on that just happens to be circumstantial. When a matter of fact is that God is moving the pieces on the chessboard. And in this case, he brought these people together. Paul knew Philemon. Maybe he didn't know that Philemon had a slave. <clears throat> but he wound up with Onesimus. And you have this dramatic trio going back and forth together here. St. Paul says that he's useful to him in the ministry. Onesimus wasn't just carrying freight for Paul. He was doing something significant in terms of the, uh, the word is used as diaconal. He was, he was in the works. He was doing something hands-on ministry for and with St. Paul. Maybe he would have even classified himself as a student of Paul if, if, if addressed directly and, and properly. Because Paul speaks of him as almost with such love that it's like it's his child. Uh, he talks of that as being like my only son. Now Paul is desirous that Onesimus go back to Philemon And continue to minister. He wants him to be set apart for that. But there is some conjecture in that. As is in most things in this letter. Because by the time you get through introducing it, it's over. 
It's that sort of a thing. It's, it's that quick. But this is not just a private letter written to Philemon. It is a letter written to Philemon, Appia, who seems to be his wife, and this other person who may be a child. We're not sure. But it's a, and then the church that meets in your home. So this was to a whole crowd of people. This was like, very much like an apostle, I mean, a, a, a pastoral epistle. If this thing was properly delivered, delivered, it would be like an email with multiple contacts. One, two, three, four, five, see? It, it, all of them would be able to print this email out and read it. So, so that Philemon is even further on the spot to treat this man, this runaway slave, with an exceptional amount of kindness because Paul has, maybe perhaps unwittedly, but I think wittingly, backed Philemon into a Christian corner. In other words, you've got to do the right thing if you're calling yourself a Christian when it comes to this slave. But, again, not just a private letter, but to a Christian community. We're pretty sure it's a community in Colossae, in Turkey. Verse 1 establishes Paul and Timothy as joint senders of the letter. That, that needs to be recognized. It was coming double barrel in double, double down authority from Paul and Timothy. Paul is a prisoner somewhere. It establishes these multiple recipients somewhere near Colossae. Fairly typical, long-winded salutation of St. Paul from verses 3 through 6 in which he continues to push, push Philemon into the Christian corner. Oh, you're a wonderful person. You're such a glorious, wonderful man, Philemon. Oh, 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 oh. And he's buttering him up like a North Carolina biscuit. See? So, he'll go, he, by the time he gets through introducing him, why, well, he thinks he's the Savior of the world. If you got a letter like that from St. Paul, and you'd just be dusting yourself off thinking, oh, my, he thinks so much of me. And then, after all of that, he finally gets to the point. And boy, when he comes to it, the chips start flying. Now I want to ask you something. See? Oh boy. Whoops. What? <laughs> I thought I was the most wonderful thing in the world and all this goodness and Christian love and yeah, and, and, and I'm doing great and all this and all of a sudden, I want to ask you something. I had a bishop like that one time. <laughs> Wonderful Bishop Goodson. I went to see him to, to become a Methodist preacher. And he said to me, he said to me, you boy, you go to school. Go back to school, he said. Boy, I remember he called me boy. Go back to school. And then we'll talk about it. And I thought to myself, my God. And then he said, you're a good man and I appreciate your work and all that in church and everything and so forth. And you're going to be a great minister one day and everything else. Now I want to ask you something. And I thought, oh, jeez, what is he? 
what Bishop Goodson want to ask me for? He said, I need to get to Atlanta. He said, have you got a truck going down there? And I said, well, Bishop, yes, I do. But you don't want to ride in no 18-wheeler to Atlanta. Let me put you on a plane. So anyway, that's the, I'm just raising that up. The feeling that you get when somebody has laid enough butter on the biscuit, when they suddenly take it away and say, I, I want to ask you something. So this occurs in this letter. The writer Paul declares himself old. He may not have been old. I mean, a lot of times people call themselves old when they're not old. They just feel that way. But maybe Paul had some age on him. And he was in jail. Onesimus, the point of the letter, whom I have, for, have, have begotten in my bonds, King James Version said, who, he, he came to a birthing experience within the ligaments of the church of St. Paul. I say ligament because ligament is the Greek word for bonds, that which holds the church together. The, the skeleton of the church is held together by bonds of love and righteousness and he saw Onesimus as a part of the very ligament there. Ligament. In times past, he, he was inefficient, it says in the Bible there. But now he is very, very useful. And that's interesting because Onesimus' name means useful. He was a useful person to Paul. Something that he did made him of use. And he was giving up him his use to send him back now to Philemon. Bowels of love, he says. Bow, B-O-W-E-L-S. Like your innermost intestines are the inner seat of the affections. Uh, if a Hebrew loves you, they love you with their guts out. It is uh, not just the heart, but the internal organs. Uh, it's, it's the bowels of your, of your, it's where your affections come from. They don't come from up here like we, we, 20th century. 21st century psychologists say, you know, you got intellect up here, you got emotions up here, everything's up here. That's not what is true. Down here is the heart of a person. And then even inside of that is that if you don't make any disconnection between the two, you've got bowels, bowels, bowels of, of mercy, piles of it there. Onesimus wasn't there to keep. Because he had gotten away from Philemon. Paul couldn't keep him. When he found out that he was a slave of Philemon, he knew he couldn't keep him. It was against the law. He was holding him out of, out of, out of, out of relationship with the slaveholder. He had to go back to who he originally belonged. As I said, he became the ligaments of the evangelism between Paul in jail, Philemon in Colossae. And he wanted him received as a Christian brother. Here, the Greek word 
koinonia emerges, the word of fellowship. He, Paul, wanted Onesimus to walk from him over to Philemon and come to Philemon not as a slave, but as a brother of Christian fellowship. Koinonia is Christian fellowship. It's a strange uh, Christian thing, this koinonia, fellowship. My mother used to take me to different churches when I was a little boy to experience uh, Sunday school in a neglectic way. She didn't mean to do it. She was doing it for convenience sake. But one of the places she took me was to an Episcopal church, which was nearby my Aunt B, who lived there. And while I was in the Episcopal church, my mother would meet with my Aunt B, and the, the two sisters would, would talk about current events and things like that. And after a while, when the service was over, my mother would run by and pick me up at the Episcopal church take me on home. She'd have a good conversation with her sister, and at the same time get rid of me for a little while. There's nothing wrong with that And in those days to get rid of me. But I learned something from the Episcopalians that I didn't learn from the Baptists or the Methodists or the Presbyterians. Uh, I just didn't learn it there. What I learned from the Episcopalians was the meaning of this word koinonia, fellowship. Well, the Episcopalians had something called fellowship. I never experienced that before. Oh, we had a few church suppers, but they were stolid affairs, you know, everybody bragging about their chicken. But this was this was lightweight stuff. Every Sunday they had coffee and tea and donuts served in high style. And there I was standing, little country boy, in the middle of them, just soaking up this magic thing called fellowship. You know, the whole time I was in the Episcopal Church, I never saw a Bible. That 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 doesn't mean they don't have one. Of course they have one. It's just that it wasn't. I wasn't beat over the head with it. But at the same, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, their worship was was different too. I mean, there's a, a lot of elderly ladies bowing up and down like ducks on a pond, and there I was going up and down like a duck on a pond, right along with them. I learned a lot from the Episcopalian, but I learned the importance of fellowship because you know a lot of those people went to that church just for that. They didn't go to get communion. They didn't go to hear the preacher. In fact, preaching was in a separate building. They had a, a building across the yard for, that, for, for, for worship. But fellowship was a giant building with great room in it and a great place to walk around and talk and meet the people. Boy, they had fellowship. Well, this is the kind of situation that Paul wants Onesimus to walk right into. Just like as if he owned the place. Nobody was going to say, ah, there's some old slave in here. That's that old Nesimus, nasty thing. We don't want nothing to do with him. Where has he been anyway? You know, who knows? Who knows? And see, that judgmental attitude better not take residence there. Because look at, look, Philemon now has been built up into this great Christian leader who's going to receive Onesimus just as sweetly and dramatically if he was his own Christian brother in fellowship, fellowship with him. My goodness, how wonderful that is to think that way. Well, if we move, we, we see that he has, if in fact he is a slave and remains one, it, it's obvious that Paul hopes that uh, it'll be possible that this man will be released from slavery, I suppose, 
But slavery was different in the Roman Empire than the Chateau slavery in the southern United States that we think of. But 25% they think of the population in Rome was slaves. 25% of the population, at least 25%. They made slaves by war. Sometimes they came in through conquering other people. They didn't, they were not racially, uh, important. It was not a cultural thing. It, you, just, you could have whole money. You, being a slave in Roman times is very different from what we think of when we think of slavery in the South. But uh, in Georgia, in the Civil War, right about the time of the Civil War, 44% of the general population of Georgia was slaves in, in, in slavery. So 25% in Rome, 40% in, in the southern state at that time. In the Roman world, Philemon, to the freedom of slavery, from slavery to fellowship, was what Paul was, was was looking for. And I'm saying it may not have been a, a sign on the dotted line, you're a freed man now, because in society like Rome and in Civil War Georgia, if you were a slave, you could be killed and beaten to death. But but at the same time, at the same time, you have to remember that if you were a freed man, uh, a black freed man, you, could, you couldn't get no work. I mean, what's cheaper than slave labor? There was no labor in the South for a freedman. None at all. And the same thing is true as Rome. To, for for uh, Onesimus to become a free man, a freeman, is better than it would have been then. But at the same time, it's got st- some, you know, it's, it's, it's stipulations because it's better, it's better to, to if you're uh, somebody employing somebody, to employ a slave than it is to employ uh, somebody who's free because it's going to cost you more money. You see, if i got a field of cotton I want picked, I put a bunch of slaves in it. You do it probably cheaper than you could, if in fact you 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 just you just you just hire, tried to hire freedmen to do the job. You, you couldn't afford it, and the whole economy of Rome was based on slavery. See, based on slavery, and Onesimus was a part of that, part of that in his day. Well. There's a little tail end of this thing that's really, I think, good too to remember. He asks Onesimus, not Onesimus, he, he tells Philemon, Philemon, that to prepare for his coming, to, he's coming for a visit. Paul thinks that when he gets out of jail, he's going to go to see Philemon and be invited to observe Onesimus's future service there, verses 21-22. He learns that he is, in fact, a uh, an important, hopes he's to be an important part of the fellowship when that happens. And then we have a conclusion and a farewell. Some of the stuff's almost threatening, you know, <laughs> where he puts it there, you know, I know you're going to do this and I know you're going to do that. Paul, Paul really hammers down on that. And then he mentions five additional laborers with him there in his jail. We all the lords. Onesimus is, is of the Lord. We all belong to the Lord. The Lord has paid our price. 
I want you to think of that for a moment. The Lord has bought me from slavery to sin and death. We are all redeemed slaves. Different forms of pain and punishment, that's for sure. Some more worse than others, but we're all purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have freedom. We have the ability to fellowship. And all of our sins, nobody wants to talk about sin today. They'd rather avoid that. But all of our sins, I put on Jesus' credit card. See, I, I can't pay for my sins. I'm, I'm, I'm just a rotten thing. But the Lord Jesus steps up to me and takes my sins and pays for them right there on the spot by His death on the cross. No matter who you are. You see, He wants to lay down His life for you and for me. And this is how He does it. And this little text, this little letter, has been used by evangelists to call people to Jesus. First, he has to turn you into a slave to sin in his sermon. And once he does that, boy, he talks about somebody who loves you so much that he sets you free, that he's paid for your sins. You're no longer a slave to sin. No longer. He has bought you and turned you into a freedman by His blessed blood. Yes. That's Jesus for you. And while this little dramatic letter seems to be between one and the other and Paul and us, in back of it all is a loving Lord who is calling those of us who read it today to recognize Jesus in it. And how Jesus saves each one of us from our nasty selves by stepping up to us and taking that bill from us and paying it for us. Ah, God, that's a powerful letter. Powerful, wonderful, powerful thing to think about. And all we have to do is have the strength and the power given to us by the Holy Ghost to love others. That's the brilliance of Martin Luther King. You have to have strength to love. And where does that strength come from? It comes from Jesus Christ above who has paid for our sins. So, today, I want to just take a moment to set you free, whoever you are, whatever you did. Hold that bill in your hand for just one minute and let Jesus come up to you and take it from you. And pay it forward for you. He's a living, loving Lord. Well, there you have Philemon in a nutshell. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know I did thoroughly. I do love the Bible and love being with you in these early morning times. So, God bless you today. Now, hold your head up. You're leaving here with a clean slate. In the name of the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Go with God. Amen. Yeah.